Hello, welcome to Historian Splaining. This will be the second of my series, The History of the United States in 100 Objects. You may have heard the first one on the Panther Effigy Pipe. This second installment will be aimed specifically at patrons, and it will be about a figurine of a goddess from the Mississippian civilization circa 1100 AD, found in Monroe County, Illinois. So this small statuette or figurine is known to scholars as the Berger figurine. It's made of flint clay or bauxite, which is a hard and water-resistant clay rich in aluminum and other metals that can be easily sculpted into artistic forms. The particular bauxite that this statuette was made from was most likely mined in a specific area of Missouri and then brought to the site where it was later found in Illinois. The statuette is about 20 centimeters or 8 inches tall. So again, like the panther effigy pipe, it's a small object that can be held in the hand. It depicts a crouching woman who is wearing a pack on her back, held on with a shoulder strap, sometimes called a tump line. In her right hand, she's holding a stone hoe, a common farming tool in the pre-Columbian world. And she's using the hoe to tear into the back of a large serpent. The serpent is curled in a circular shape around the woman and Behind her, one can see that the head of the serpent is that of a cat with sharp bared teeth resembling a puma. And at the other end, the tail of the serpent splits into two gourd vines that then run up the woman's back and over her pack, bearing several gourds or squashes. The flint clay figurine was found at the so-called BBB motor site which is a significant archaeological site in Monroe County in western Illinois, not far from St. Louis. This site was excavated in 1979 because the state was planning to build a highway over that area. And before the highway was built, archaeologists were allowed to survey and search for archaeological remains, which they found. The BBB motor site is at the location of what was a small village or hamlet on the outskirts of the city of Cahokia. Cahokia was a major city. In fact, it was most likely the principal city of the Mississippian civilization in about the 12th, 13th, and 14th centuries. So, what is the Mississippian civilization? Well, in the last lecture about the panther effigy pipe, I talked about the Hopewell Society and the major wooden temples and earthwork mounds that they built. Well, the Hopewell went into decline after about 500 AD, possibly because of a cooling climate. But the climate in North America and in most of the world began gradually to warm again after around 800 and we see significant population growth 
and the formation of larger, more permanent settlements as we enter what climatologists call the late medieval warm period. In Central and Eastern North America, this warming coincided with a major innovation, and that was the introduction of a new set of highly productive crops that had been domesticated in Mexico and gradually made their way northward into the rest of North America. The most important of these was maize, okay, a highly productive cereal grain, also various kinds of beans and squash, right, domesticated edible gourds. And it's possible that some beans and squashes had already been domesticated previously, before this time, but after about 1000 AD, these new highly productive species and breeds and varieties from Mexico and Central America were brought northward and adapted to the new conditions, along with large fields of maize, and large agricultural communities became possible. We see cities springing up all over the Mississippi and Ohio basins, as well as the southeast, all the way down to what's now Georgia and Florida. And it seems that this new society was in many ways very similar to the Hopewell. It seems to have shared a lot of similar practices and beliefs, the shamanistic rituals, the mound building, but they were also different in that they relied much more on agriculture for their food supply and less so on hunting and gathering. And with this new food production, they were able to build and sustain larger permanent towns and cities. And the center of this civilization seems to have been a little farther west, right? So as opposed to the major Hopewell centers, which were in Ohio and Indiana, the largest Mississippian cities seem to have been in what's now Missouri and Illinois. Two in particular were the largest and probably both had over 100,000 people and are in what's now Illinois. One is called Kaskaskia and the other is Cahokia. And Cahokia most likely was the largest. It's very hard to pin down exactly how big Cahokia was because the indigenous people, they built out of wood and earth, like the Hopewell did, and it's more hard to piece together the exact foundations and remains of these urban centers. But Cahokia certainly seems to have been a densely populated city of at least over 100,000 people, possibly much more, possibly even over half a million. And at its height, during the flourishing of the Mississippian civilization in the 12th and 13th centuries, Cahokia was probably one of the largest cities in the world. And like the Hopewell, the Mississippians had very extensive and extremely active trade networks and networks of travel for acquiring exotic goods from all the way over through the Rocky Mountains to the Pacific Coast, up into Canada, over to the Atlantic and the Gulf, all sorts of materials like shells, sharks' teeth, silver, flint, copper, mica, and so on. The Mississippians, as I mentioned, were also a mound-building civilization. They're sometimes also called the Mississippian Mound Builders. But they seem to have gone about building a bit differently from the Hopewell, in that the Hopewell, it seems 
built wooden structures that were probably temples or ceremonial buildings. Then when they were done, dismantled them and built mortuary earthworks over them. Well, the Mississippians, it seems, built very large earthworks and then placed temples on top of them. And we can see in the ruins, especially of Cahokia and Kaskaskia, tremendous earthwork mounds, roughly pyramidal in shape, that seem to have had wooden temples on top of them. And we have fairly good guesses of how these temples were built, not only from the remains they left behind in Illinois, but also from similar structures that it seems that southeastern peoples like the Cherokee and the Creek built in the area of Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, and that survived long enough for Europeans to see them and document them and depict them. And we can extrapolate that these great Mississippian temples at Cahokia and Kaskaskia and other ancient cities were somewhat similar on a, a similar kind of pattern. It seems as we survey and try to map out the forms of these great Mississippian cities, they probably looked somewhat like the surviving Mayan and Aztec cities in Mexico, with enormous temple complexes arranged around central plazas, and then urban, residential, and intensive agricultural fields around them. So if we go back to the BBB motor site where the Berger figurine was discovered, it seems as if this small hamlet somewhat northwest of Cahokia was one of many sort of surrounding the outskirts, or you might say outer suburbs, of the Mississippian cities. And this particular village seems to have been dedicated particularly to the dead and to the cremation and deposition of the dead. Some of the structures there are supposed by archaeologists to be charnel houses where cremation and interment of the dead were undertaken. Various small statues and figurines were found buried around the various corners of the BBB motor site. And these figurines were mostly made from flint clay, like the Berger figurine, and they seem to have all been buried in pits. So they were not simply abandoned or left behind, but at some point they were intentionally interred, almost like bodies being interred in a grave. And the Berger figurine was actually found off at the very outer edge of the BBB motor site in a pit that was sort of off on its own with nothing else of any consequence found very nearby. And it was really a kind of unexpected accident that it was found at all. And this suggests that the figurine might have had some special importance or have been for some reason, taken to a distance to be isolated away from the rest of the settlement. It's been dated to around the year 1100 AD, so the middle of what archaeologists call the Sterling period of the Mississippian civilization. So this was a time when Cahokia and Kaskaskia were very large, vibrant, prosperous, and growing, and were still on the rise. 
So it was sometime a little bit later that we see the Mississippians start to go into an initial decline, which again, like the decline of high medieval Europe, might have been because of uh, the return of a cooling climate or may have had other biological or political reasons to it. So how was the figurine found? Well, this is important for understanding the significance of what the figurine was and what it did. So, as I said, it was a somewhat unexpected discovery, and it was made when a large paddle wheel was being used to sort of dig up the topsoil and expose the archaeological layers of the BBB motorcycle. And as this was happening, the paddle wheel struck the back of the head of the figurine and smashed most of the head into tiny pieces that could not be reconstructed. However, the face fortunately survived, and so did almost all of the body. And the pieces have been reconstructed. So when one sees an image of the Berger figurine today, one sees a face affixed to the surviving body, with the rest of the head missing. Other parts of the body were also broken when archaeologists unearthed the figurine. And at first, it was assumed that these breaks were the result of this impact with the paddle wheel. However, it later turned out this was not the case. So the right arm and the head had both been broken off from the body. And on examination, it was, it turned out that these breaks were old. They were not fresh. So scholars speculated that the figurine might have been accidentally broken at the time when it was being buried, or maybe later due to the effects of farming or road construction near the site. But actually, it's now theorized that more likely it was intentionally broken into several pieces before it was then buried. And I'll talk later about why that is and what that might mean. But it's significant for understanding how this figurine ended up, where it was, and what it represents. So to talk a little bit more in detail about the Berger figurine and, and what we see when we look at it that might be meaningful. The woman, as I said, is kneeling and holding a stone hoe, as was commonly used to farm fields. And we can see when we look at her face that the face is very detailed and expressive. Her lips are pulled back from her teeth and are in a sort of curled, almost grimacing expression. This could represent effort, since she is kneeling and doing hard work. It may also represent death. The serpent, as I said, is also similarly grimacing and baring its teeth. This expression with the lips curled back and baring the teeth is theorized to represent death because the same expression is seen on surviving trophy heads and also depictions of trophy heads that we see in pre-Columbian American art. So when a head is left to sort of cure or dry, the facial muscles and skin contract, and we see this kind of curled, almost grimacing expression form on the face. So this motif in the depiction of the woman, it's seen on other sculptures of other 
possibly deity figures, and it is one of the clues that this Berger figurine represents a, a deity of death. Similarly, the snake or serpent may be identified with the mythological figure of the underwater serpent that appears in a lot of North American Indian mythology and folklore, like the underwater panther that I talked about in relation to the panther effigy pipe. The underwater serpent is also taken to be one of the important guardians of waterways, of the earth, and of the passageways to the underworld. Right? And it's very common in America and in other places as well to see serpents as representing death and mysteries of the underworld. But also at the same time, it represents fertility and the growth of vegetation. And we see this referenced very clearly in the gourd vines that grow directly out of the serpent's tail. So just in, in the basic structure and style of the figurine, we see a reference to the cycles of death and rebirth. And this is even underscored, I think, by the circular base with the serpent wrapping itself around in a circle, rather uh, similar to the Ouroboros symbol that's seen in all kinds of Egyptian and European art with uh, a snake circling around and biting its own tail, representing eternity and the cycle of death and birth. Now, the woman, as I said, seems to be somehow farming the back of the serpent, right? She's not just stroking, but apparently cutting or tearing into the back of the serpent with a farming tool. And this may represent sort of the power of human beings and specifically of farmers who were probably the majority of the people in the Mississippian civilization and their ability to bring life out of death, to tear into the earth, to put apparently dead objects like seeds into the earth and then bring living, renewing organisms out of it, right? And particularly of bringing forth crops that then feed the population and give life from death. More specifically, the pack that she wears on her back, which might seem to just be generic, actually probably also has cosmic significance. So anthropologists like Guy Prentice, who have studied the Berger figurine, point out that there are many stories and myths recorded in all sorts of Eastern and Central North American mythologies that tell of a mother goddess of some sort, a corn mother or spider mother who travels the world carrying seeds in a pack on her back. And this corn mother or spider mother is very important in all sorts of ways, but specifically she's credited with giving agriculture to human beings. So all in all, the figurine seems to represent a cycle of life and death and the importance of farming as a way of bringing life forth from death, from the world of the dead or from the underwater serpent or from the earth itself. The Berger figurine fits into a wider pattern of art and artifacts from the Mississippian civilization. So it's one of several small red clay goddess figures that have been found at a number of different sites around Illinois, Missouri, and surrounding states. For example, there was a more recent discovery 
just a few years ago, also in Illinois, of a small figurine called the Exchange Avenue figurine, where we see a kneeling or crouching woman holding forth a conch shell in both hands. And this Exchange Avenue figurine probably also, again, represents some sort of female goddess or guardian figure connected to water and the underworld, right? And remember, the underworld was considered to be a watery realm. And it is charred all over its surface. So it seems that the Exchange Avenue figurine was somehow burned or held in a fire before it was then again buried in a pit at a ceremonial site, much like the Berger figurine was. And remember, as I mentioned, the Berger figurine, although it was not, there's no evidence that it was burned, it was apparently broken in several places before it was deposited in the pit. So this burning of the Exchange Avenue figurine and intentional breaking of the Berger figurine and of a couple of other clay sculptures from the Mississippian era probably were targets of intentional ritual killing or intentional destruction of these deity figures. Now, we know that this intentional metaphorical killing or destruction of pieces of art was very common at many Hopewell sites, you know, centuries earlier. And this has actually been studied. There actually was a Kent State archaeology student who just last year wrote her master's thesis about this practice of ritual killing of art and artifacts by the Hopewell. So this has been somewhat more closely examined, and we know that at several Hopewell sites in Ohio, as well as the Mann site in Indiana, where the panther effigy pipe was found, literally thousands of objects were broken to pieces or burned until they split apart. For example, etched pieces of bone that may have been used for divination or decoration, uh, small pipes, statuettes, uh, medallions, pieces of engraved stone, all of these were smashed to pieces with tools or sometimes placed in underground tunnels and chambers inside temples that were connected by passageways to large furnaces so that super hot air, sometimes hot enough to melt copper, would flow through these tunnels and incinerate or char or melt these various objects before they were then moved to different sites and buried. Right, so this was clearly an intentional ritualized practice, and it seems to have mimicked the Hopewell's practices of disposing of human remains. So it seems that it was common at these Hopewell sites for people to be ritually dismembered before they were then buried, or in some cases were ritually dismembered, then cremated, and then their remains were taken to another site to be buried. We don't know why they did this. And before I get deeply into that, I will go back and talk some more about the Berger figurine and these Mississippian figurines that came from several hundred years later. So the Berger figurine is distinctive 
in its detail and its quality, right? There, there may be many more highly sophisticated Mississippian statues and statuettes yet to be found. There probably are. It just happens that the ones that have been found were at sites that for some reason were being excavated because of the building of a road or a bridge in the case of the Exchange Avenue figurine. And for whatever reason, these particular artifacts have been found. And a few of them seem to be notably similar to the Berger figurine in significant respects. For example, two somewhat smaller clay figurines showing kneeling, grimacing women wearing skirts around their waists, much like the one depicted on the Berger figurine, were found in Etowah, Georgia. And it happens that these two rather similar-looking figurines Although they're a bit more plain and less detailed in their style, they also were broken in pieces and ritually destroyed before being buried. And this is very interesting because it shows that these similar practices surrounded a similar female figure and were spread very widely, right? So the Berger figurine was in Illinois. These two figurines were in Georgia. So this similar complex of practices and symbols was spread apparently all up and down this Mississippian realm. Now, as for why these items might have been ritually killed as you might say in scare quotes, or ritually destroyed. Well, this is very hard to say. We don't know as much about how and why this was done in the Mississippian civilization as we do with regard to the Hopewell. And with the Hopewell, there are several possible motivations we can take into account. One is a form of economic control, preventing inflation. Right? These art objects that were destroyed and buried at the Hopewell and later Mississippian sites took a great deal of skill and highly skilled labor to produce, and a lot of them were created using probably very expensive high-value materials brought from far away, like I said, such as mica, silver and copper, bauxite, shark's teeth, bear's claws, and so on. And... As these ritual objects were produced and accumulated at these ceremonial sites, they might have gradually lost their value, right? Some of them would be traded or sold to different places. They might be stolen. And over time, they would become more commonplace and would lose their special value and maybe even lose some of their sort of sacred aura. So occasionally killing or destroying a certain portion of them probably helped to maintain their value, their high economic price, and it helped probably to support the economic importance of the skilled artisans and ritual professionals who created and used these objects. Another possible motivation is that they were a kind of grave goods, right? So like the statuettes and art drawings and sarcophagi that were buried in the pyramids with the pharaohs, they might have been intended to go into the underworld or into the afterlife with the people who were buried at these sites. And as I said, the, the Hopewell mortuary mounds did have 
some human remains buried in them. They weren't primarily burial mounds, it seems, but they did have some remains of probably important people like shamans and hunters buried in them. And likewise, the Mississippian site where the Berger figurine was found was apparently a mortuary site where people were cremated. So it's possible that some of these objects, maybe even including these statuettes, were ritually destroyed as a way of sort of ending their lives now that their owners or the people they were attached to were dead. And once they were in this way ritually killed, again in scare quotes, they somehow their image or their figure could go on to the afterlife. Now, a further possible motivation that I would point out that I think we should take into account is that these various objects, and particularly the statuettes, might have been considered to have a kind of invisible and dangerous power. Right, that they may have somehow embodied or channeled otherworldly spiritual power. And so, hence, at some point when they were no longer being used or for whatever religious or political reason, they had to be destroyed in order to block off and disable this power. And again, we can make a comparison to ancient Egypt. So when one looks at statues and figurines of of otherworldly figures like gods and goddesses in ancient Egypt, many of them have their noses broken off. And it's easy to simply assume that this was accidental, that at some point during, you know, over the centuries or during excavation that they were accidentally broken. But archaeologists actually have found that this is not true, that they were mostly intentionally broken off with tools. And the reason for this is that these objects that depicted deities or even divine figures like pharaohs were considered to be images in a spiritual sense, that they somehow captured the sort of shadow side or, or spirit quality of the person or deity. And hence, they continued to have power as long as they continued to present the image of that person or, or, or personage. And so breaking off the nose was considered to disable it. It both uh, ruined the perfect reflection or depiction of the person or the god, and it also cut off the avenue for breath. Right? One breathes through the nose, and so when the nose is broken off, in a sense, the breath is cut off, and hence the spiritual power of this person or entity is, is shut out. So I would speculate or hypothesize that the destruction of the figurines were, was also intended to rob them of some specific power that their makers believed they had or channeled. And I think it's significant that with the Berger figurine, it was specifically the right arm, the arm that was holding the stone hoe, and the head that were broken off, right? So decapitation obviously is the most sure way of killing a person, and the right arm is the active, powerful arm that in this in this statuette is performing a powerful action. And so I think that the breaking off of the head and the right arm represents a disabling of whatever powerful entity it's supposed to depict.
There are other possible historical reasons why these figurines might have been destroyed, and I'll get to those uh, in a minute. And to understand those reasons, we have to, again, step back and consider what the figurine might represent in the larger Mississippian world that it came from. So when we look at art from the Mississippian civilization, which dates between about AD 1000 and about 1350 or so, again, a sort of 300 or so year flourishing, much like the Hopewell before them, we see certain repeating motifs that probably reflect devotion to the cults of particular gods. And most prominent among these deity figures that we see devotional art depicting, there is a fertility goddess, right, that I referred to before, the sort of corn mother or spider mother. And there's also a male god figure, eagle or chieftain figure who is associated with the eagle. And there are different attributes associated with these primary female and male deities. And the different deities seem to have been more popular in particular places in particular times. So when we look at the sort of golden period of Cahokia, at the height of the Mississippian civilization, there is a tremendous concentration of the female figure. The, the goddess figure associated with fertility, with death and rebirth, and with farming. Whereas if we look at earlier and later periods, and if we look at farther outlying areas of the Mississippian realm, we see more of the male figure, of the, the eagle god or eagle chieftain. And this variation over time and space between the more popular devotion to the corn mother as opposed to the eagle chieftain, it might represent a difference in lifestyle and economics. Cahokia, during its greatest period of flourishing, was dependent on highly productive agriculture, right? So at times and places where people are more invested and more dependent on farming, the farming goddess was probably considered more important and received more attention, whereas in places and times where there was still greater reliance on hunting, and hence the lifestyle and economics were more similar to the Hopewell civilization, we see naturally more devotion to this male figure who might have been associated with hunting and with animals more generally. We know that many Indian nations, such as those of the Iroquois Confederacy in the 18th century, considered farming to be strictly women's work. Only women would work in the fields, and it was very taboo for men to cross over and take part in farming. And likewise, warfare, hunting, and other pursuits were considered to be strictly men's realm of endeavor. So it's certainly possible that these complementary cults of the corn or mother goddess and the eagle god reflect the strict division of labor. So whereas the Hopewell civilization, their art seems to have been completely consumed with animal motifs, the panthers, the bears, the birds, the, the, the falcons, 
they were a society still largely dependent on animal life, whereas the Mississippians were the first North American civilization to depend primarily on intensive, high-productive farming, and hence this deity that seems to represent farming becomes more important. Now, it's possible, and I know that at least a couple of scholars have speculated, that the destruction of some of these corn mother or fertility goddess figurines might be the result of economic and political change. So at the height of Cahokia, you might have seen something more like a matriarchal society, more power and respect given to women and to, to female deities. However, as the climate starts to get colder after about 1200, and especially more dramatically after about 1300, this farming productivity might have faltered. People might have had to turn back more towards a hunting and gathering lifestyle, and there might have been some degree of disillusionment, disappointment, even frustration with the fertility goddess who possibly was seen as no longer providing the kind of prosperity that she had previously. And people may have turned away from this fertility goddess and more towards the older or previously more primary male gods. And the destruction of some of these goddess figurines might be related to this sort of wave of disillusionment and change after about 1200. Now, that is certainly possible. However, all of the information that I've been able to find says that the Berger figurine dates to the Sterling period and probably was broken and interred somewhere around A.D. 1100, or at least in the early 12th century A.D. And hence, it seems to predate this supposed turn away from farming and away from the fertility goddess after about 1200. So it may be that there is some combination of causes here, but the available evidence suggests that the Berger figurine was destroyed and buried while the Cahokian civilization was still on the rise. And hence this practice of ritual destruction, which we know dates back to the Hopewell and even earlier, to earlier sites before the Hopewell era, it was already in place and it was already well developed before this decline after about 1200. So to return to the symbolism of the Berger figurine and other similar statuettes, as commented on by the anthropologist Guy Prentice, it seems to represent a sort of earth mother or corn mother who was also widely considered to be the ruler of the realm of the dead. So this sort of goddess figure that is very widespread, not only in the Great Plains and East Woodlands area, but also has some similar cognates in the West Coast. This goddess was associated with the moon. She is commonly said to have descended from the moon to the earth. She brought with her a pack that she carried with a tump line on her back. And she carried important objects like seeds and in some versions of the story distributed seeds to humankind so that they could begin the practice of agriculture. In some versions of this myth, she is also said to carry souls 
in her pack. So the corn mother is, she is associated with or rules over the realm of the dead. She also is the overseer of birth and is a kind of patroness of women giving birth and of midwives. And it's sometimes said that she ushers spirits from the realm of the dead, which is her domain, into children as they're being born. So she hence oversees reincarnation and the continual cycle of death and rebirth. She also is considered to be the creator of important crucial crops like maize, squash, and especially tobacco. And as I said in the lecture on the panther effigy pipe, tobacco is used in shamanistic ceremonies, and hence she's associated with the sort of out-of-body and trance experiences brought on in shamanic ceremonies. In some versions of the myth, such as in the Caddo region, which is more or less what's now Missouri, Kansas, Oklahoma, she is said to be the mother or grandmother of a pair of twins. These twins were one good and one evil, and they oversaw the sort of creation of humankind, civilization, morality, good and bad. And she also gave out sets of six seeds to these twins and to other human beings that they created. Now, if we look at the vines that grow up the back of the Berger figurine, each of them is sprouting into three squashes. So these six squashes that we see on the back of the statuette might be a reference to these six seeds that the corn mother supposedly gave out to human beings in the sort of beginning era of humankind. So all in all, the destruction of the Berger figurine, it might possibly reflect a sort of frustration or disillusionment with this goddess of death and rebirth, but it might also represent a sort of cautious step in which the figurine was destroyed and disabled and interred in the same sort of manner as a dead body because it reflected or channeled this sort of awesome power of death and rebirth that is in the hands of this corn mother goddess. So as I said, the Mississippian civilization went into pretty serious decline after about 1300. Kaskaskia and Cahokia shrank, large sections were abandoned. It seems that the wooden temples on top of the earthwork pyramids at some point fell into disrepair and were abandoned. However, they did not entirely disappear, and we know that even when European explorers and conquerors began to appear in this Great Plains region, they found these towns still in existence. They still had the same names, Kaskaskia and Cahokia. They were marked particularly on French maps of the region. And the enormous earthwork pyramids at the center of these towns remain to this day. And it seems that one of them eventually was occupied by a set of French Catholic missionary monks, and hence it took on the name Monk's Mound. And it's now a, a tourist site. You can go and visit Monk's Mound, as it's now called. But it was certainly originally an earthwork temple mound. In other places farther south, 
the Mississippian civilization persisted in different forms, right? So as the climate cooled, the Mississippian societies in what's now Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Louisiana persisted and maintained something of the older social and political structure and practices of the Mississippian civilization. And that's part of why we can know a bit or at least extrapolate some possible facts about Mississippian society. So the Creek, the Cherokee, the Choctaw, other southeastern Indian nations continued to build ceremonial mounds and to tell similar myths about the corn mother goddess down into the colonial era and to the present day. However, the Indian nation that probably preserved the most in sophistication and detail of Mississippian society was the Natchez. And the Natchez continued as a fairly powerful urban society along the Mississippi River, in mostly in what's now today the state of Mississippi. And the city of Natchez, Mississippi, of course, derives its name from the Natchez people. And we know from European encounters and interactions with the Natchez that they were a highly hierarchical society with a complex tiered caste system with five castes. At the top of the social structure was a priestly caste, which was hereditary, passed from mother to child, and that people generally inherited their caste position from their mothers. We know that they worshipped a supreme sun deity in their temples on top of these temple mounds. So all of these are some basic facts that we can guess might be similar to the Cahokian civilization in its height. And this Natchez nation was eventually destroyed when it engaged in a territorial war with the French colony of Louisiana. And the Louisiana militia and military forces and their allies, such as the Choctaw Nation, attacked and basically decimated and dispersed the Natchez in 1729. And this is more or less marks the end of Mississippian civilization as it still existed at that time. However, before the destruction of the Natchez, we know that French travelers and ethnographers described their system of food production. So they used intensive agriculture of maize, beans, and squash like the Mississippians. They also hunted and gathered, and they also continued to farm some of the older North American domesticated crops that predated the arrival of these Mexican crops like maize. For example, the French said that the Natchez would scatter seeds of a grassy crop that they called La Belle Dame Negre, or the Beautiful Dark Woman, which was a variety of goosefoot that they would scatter along riverbanks, and they would use this as a kind of backup spare food source in case their farming failed. And so in this way, these older crops that date back to that earlier age of domestication along the Ohio River 
continued down into this later civilization until it finally was destroyed in this war in 1729. But again, some of these ideas, practices, persist in different forms in other southeastern nations, which were eventually forced out of most of their territories in the Trail of Tears. And a lot of them and their descendants now are in Oklahoma. So it's been a very complicated, you know, tortuous path by which this uh, society, its practices, its beliefs, its traditions have survived in some form. But a lot of the complexity, the artistic styles, practices, and the religious beliefs and teachings of this civilization are lost and have to be reconstructed from archaeological remains, like the Berger figurine, which, as you can see, has incredibly complex layered symbolism built into it, some of which we can guess with some confidence based on what we know from American Indian society, but some of which we probably can never entirely fully reconstruct. So that is what I think we can say that is important and interesting about this statuette that we call the Berger figurine. And I hope that you enjoyed this lecture. There will be more in this series on 100 objects. If there are topics, questions you want to hear about, or other objects that you think might be interesting that you want to suggest to me, I encourage you to post on Patreon or on SoundCloud or email me at historiansplaining at gmail.com. Thank you.